As we begin the book of Ephesians this morning, I want us to recite together a text we're going to use as our call to worship in coming weeks. It is Ephesians 3, 16, and 17. I want you to read this with me, if you would, please, okay? We pray that out of His glorious... Whoop! Wrong text, right? No, that's it. Okay. We pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I hope that you'll memorize that text. I also hope that you'll memorize Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, which are on the back of the devotional guide. If you didn't get your daily devotional guide for chapters 1 through 3, it's out in the lobby on a table, and you are welcome to get that guide. On the back, it has Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 in the NIV, and I learned it in the KJV when I was seven years old. Uh, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among all whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, were by nature children wrath, even as others. A seven-year-old had a hard time understanding that. And uh, I memorized it word for word, uh, just like Tony memorized James 3, 1 through 12. And today, it's still in my brain, all right? So we have put it in a modern version on the back of the devotional guide, and we want you to work on it for the next 10 weeks. And uh, Tony would tell you, if you can memorize one verse a week, you'll have Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, all completely memorized by the time we get done with the exposition of chapters 1 to 3, okay? So go to work now and learn those verses. By the way, I do sometimes slip into the pronunciation Ephesians. I'm sorry about that. The staff perpetually reminds me that I say Ephesians instead of Ephesians. So I'm going to tell you why this happens, okay? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I created my own mnemonic device when I was a seven or eight-year-old to remember the order of those books. And Ephesians was the fish. Flipping was Philippians. So I just started calling it Ephesians. And they laugh at me when I say it. So if I slip into Ephesians, just ignore me and uh, know that I've mispronounced it now for almost 60 years. So it may not get corrected in your lifetime, all right? Now, we've got a book that is sent to Ephesians according to the text that you have before you. But people have wondered about whether Ephesians was actually the main recipient of the letter, or maybe there were others, because a very ancient source calls this the letter to the Laodiceans. There is a comment of the Apostle Paul that uh, they, he sent a letter to Laodicea, and they were supposed to share it uh, with the Laodiceans and then uh, give their letter to them. And so people have asked, well, what about the letter to the Laodiceans? Maybe this is uh, that one as well. And some folks have speculated, since uh, many of the ancient, most ancient and best manuscripts do not have Ephesians in it, maybe this was sent to multiple 
destinations like you do with emails when you want them to be personal, but you've got three people to send it to. And so you say, hello, Mary, and you send the email, and then you get another one. You say, hello, Don, and you send that email, and then hello, George, and you send the same email to three different places. The book of Ephesians reads like a sermon more so than, say, the book of Romans, which is a long treatise, but the whole last chapter is all of those, hello, fellas, this is so-and-so saying hi to you, I hope so-and-so's doing well. It takes 20 or so verses with all these personal comments, and this is typical of the Apostle Paul's letters. But in Ephesians, you don't have that. You have him recognizing the letter bearer at the very end. And at the front, you have this personal salutation, and that's about it. The whole body of it reads more like a sermon. And the sermon is about the eternal purpose of God in Christ Jesus, that through His grace, He is raising up for Himself a people. So you have this core, the eternal purpose of God. And you've got this message, this sermon, that is about God's eternal purpose in Christ Jesus. And you have the word grace used over and over again in the book of Ephesians, proportionally more than any other book of the Bible. And so we come to the salutation with this understanding that God's eternal purpose is to be unfolded in this letter as the Apostle Paul looks at it from the point of view of salvation in Jesus. It's going to be a wonderful journey. If you memorize Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, you will also memorize that verse that says that God in His grace has saved us so that in ages to come, He might show the incomparable riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So we say it's an eternal purpose because even though God has a purpose for His church in the here and now as we carry the gospel to our community and to the ends of the earth, He also has a purpose for His church in the hereafter so that when I'm walking down the streets of heaven or you're seen in heaven by the angels, the angels will be reminded by your very presence in, in heaven of God's marvelous grace. Because if there's any creature that doesn't really fit in heaven, it's David Crosby. It's these humans who are broken and stained by sin. And God in His grace has saved them. So in the ages to come, for eons to come, He's going to show the incomparable, the glorious riches of His grace. How? In His kindness toward you. Through Christ Jesus. That's the eternal purpose of God. God is going to multiply His glory through the salvation of His church, which is you. So that's what He's busy doing in the world. This is His eternal purpose. And the eternal purpose is actually captured in this salutation. I know when you get a letter sometimes, if it's handwritten, you might want to look to the end and see who actually wrote it before you read it. I don't know if that ever happened. If you don't have a return address, if I get one, well, I'll look toward the end and find out who wrote it. Well, Paul puts it up front. That was their practice back then. So let's read the salutation and see what he says. This is chapter 1, verse 1, the book of Ephesians, amazing, messy grace. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, 
to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you might think when you read this that the apostles being very complimentary of the brothers and sisters who are in Ephesus because he calls them God's holy people. And you might be thinking in your mind, well, holiness is about virtue and moral perfection. These people must have been moral examples for the whole church of Jesus Christ at large since the apostle calls them God's holy people. And sometimes we associate the idea of being a saint with virtue and with moral perfection. But that's not what this word is about. The Apostle Paul is writing to the saints who are in Ephesus, to God's holy people in Ephesus. And with this term, he is identifying everybody who has believed in Jesus, whoever they might be. Whatever, in fact, their condition on that particular day, he is calling them God's holy people. So I'm pointing out to you one of the themes of the book, one of the truths that Paul wants you to get a hold of and every reader to get a hold of. It is this, our eternal position is that we are God's holy people. It's our eternal position. Now, we don't think of ourselves that way. We live out our days thinking, you know, I didn't do very well today. Nobody would have called me a saint. We forget that we are eternally with Christ, that Christ is in us, and that's our position spiritually every day. So I want you to get this down because it comes up again and again in the book of Ephesians. Our eternal position is that we are God's holy people. The word holy is hagios, which is translated saints in the old Bible. It means to be set apart for the purposes of God. We know that the Apostle Paul thought of himself as being set apart for God's purposes because he says here, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And the Apostle is saying, I'm not an apostle because I volunteered for it or I decided I wanted to be one. I'm an apostle because of God's will. It was God's will for me to be an apostle. He chose me, he appointed me, he commissioned me, and he sent me. And this is who I am. And though he had other credentials, he could have called himself a student of Gamaliel when he introduced himself to these folks. He could have called himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was young, advancing in his chosen profession as a young man. And he could have introduced himself with all these other credentials, but he completely ignores them because he has a credential given to him by the grace of God. It is his appointment and calling before God. He is an apostle by the will of God. And no matter what he's going through or what trouble comes upon him or what opposition comes to him or, or difficulty besets him, the apostle Paul is anchored. He is firm in his conviction that he is called of God and in the will of God as an apostle to the Gentiles. You need this. You need this. You need this too. 
You need this deep, unshakable sense that you have been called by God. That you have an eternal purpose that you are working out in the world. That you have been set apart for that purpose through the will of God and no other. That this has been done to you. You are a chosen person. You need this. You need this in your world. And you can have it as surely as the Apostle Paul had it. He knew he was an apostle by the will of God. And you know that you are in the family of God because of God's will. Jesus said, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. You need to have this deep conviction. This needs to be your identity in the world. There are others who want to give you a different identity, all right? And maybe you've taken on some other identities as you've gone through your pilgrimage in the world. This needs to be your identity in the world. I am one of God's holy people. In the old covenant, they would take utensils that they used in the tabernacle or the temple, and they would consecrate them. They would set them apart for service in worship. They would not be used for anything else. It was a scandal when Nebuchadnezzar raided the temple and took all those holy utensils out of that temple because they were to be used for nothing else. They had a single purpose. They were set apart for the worship of God. That's what the idea of holy people is, that you've been set apart for the worship of God, for the purposes of God. That's who you are. If you can ingrain that in your heart, if you can get it in your mind, if you can think about yourself this way, if you can allow this to be the truth that dominates all other truths and identities and affiliations in your life, then you live in the world in a different way. The Apostle Paul had this unshakable courage, this clear sense of direction for his life because every day he woke up and he knew he was an apostle by the will of God, that God had called him to this. Every believer in Jesus needs the same kind of intentionality about every day that you live. And so the apostle is not just throwing out some grand title for the people who read the book the first time. He is encouraging them to self-identify as God's holy people, chosen by him, by the will of God, set apart for his purposes. I hope you can do this. The circumstances of your life may be taking charge now. You may be feeling beset by all kinds of things that are going on around you. You may have fallen into trouble and heartache and maybe even moral failure. And these things may be taking a prominent place in your mind about who you are and what you're doing in the world. You need to be able to cleanse your mind of those other things so that you think about yourself as God's holy person. It is the way that you behave in the world the way God wants you to. It starts with your identity. Identifying in Christ as God's holy people. God's holy purpose. Our eternal position is that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. That's our eternal position. It never changes. My condition may change. My performance in the world may change. But my position in Christ Jesus never changes. You need this. You say, well, what about my daily condition? What about my life in the world? 
when the Apostle Paul addresses that in the next phrase. He is an apostle by the will of God. He is writing to God's holy people at Ephesus. The faithful in Christ Jesus. He calls them the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, when we read that, we may think, oh, these people are faithful, so they're really special because I'm not so faithful. Well, you are faithful in this way. You started your journey with God in faith, right? It is by grace you were saved through faith. So you started this journey in faith. So in that sense, you are the faithful in Christ Jesus. You placed your faith in Jesus for your salvation. But everybody knows that faithful is a descriptor, that it's describing a people who are being obedient to the call of God upon their life. So faithful really is a word in the world. Now God's not asking you to be successful here. He doesn't say the successful people in Christ Jesus. He's not asking you in this passage for moral perfection. It doesn't say the morally perfect people in Christ Jesus. What it says is the faithful in Christ Jesus. You have a great example of faithfulness in the God who never leaves you or forsakes you. When John sees that great white horse in Revelation chapter 19, the one who sits upon that horse is called faithful and true. And the name that is inscribed on his thigh is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so we know one who is faithful. Jesus, our Lord, is faithful. He was faithful all the way to the point of dying on a cross for us. We serve a God who is faithful. He faithfully keeps our promises, his, his promises to us. He is the God who is there in our darkest hour. He walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. Anytime we utter a prayer, he hears our prayer. He is the faithful God. And so he is asking us to be like him on a daily basis to wake up in the, in, in the morning and say, Lord, help me be faithful today. You say, well, I try, but I always fail. Yeah. Like the children's jingle says, we all fall down. That's you, right? And me. We all fall down. We all fall down. Me and you and every one of us. So if we use the word faithful, we wonder what it means when we are unfaithful, when we fail, when we sin. Well, think about the faithfulness of God this way, okay? If you will be faithful in your confession, if we confess our sin, guess what? God is faithful, okay? If you will be faithful in your confession, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus died upon the cross paying the full price for your sin. So if you confess your sin, God is faithful. Not only faithful, he is just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. This is a dimension of the faithfulness of God 
that we need to carry in our heart every day, and we need to be faithful in our confession as well. That's part of what our faithfulness requires. I tell you, there's a day when you won't need faith because you'll see Jesus face to face, right? Right now you see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. The Apostle Paul recounts that there are three great spiritual experiences and virtues that tower above them all, faith, hope, and love. And he says the greatest of these is love. How can that be? What about faith? Well, when you see God face to face, you don't need faith anymore. Your faith has become sight, right? And when you see God face to face and you're in heaven, you don't need hope anymore because your hope has been realized in heaven in the presence of God. But love, love comes before there is anything in the very heart and being of God. God is love and it washes like a great ocean current throughout human history all the way into the great eternal future with God. Love is the greatest Because God is love, surpassing faith and hope. So what about faithfulness? It is our temporal condition, the faithful. God calls you today to be faithful. Jesus said, well done, thou good and what? Faithful servant. Maybe not morally perfect. Maybe not successful in all the world's measures but you've been faithful. We need faithfulness sometimes. We all backslide. Someone used backsliding as a self-descriptor this week. I was a little surprised. I hadn't heard it in a long time. What's your spiritual condition? Well, I'm backslidden. Are you backslidden? When you look at your spiritual journey, can you look back and see a time when you used to pray? more than you do now and you used to read your Bible and you're not really doing that anymore. You used to give and you're not really doing that much. You used to serve. Maybe you used to teach the scriptures or you used to go into the community and the prison or or the nursing home or the things you used to do and you don't do those anymore and you look at yourself and you think, I'm kind of backslidden. Well, that would be something to correct, wouldn't it? Because you want to be faithful every day that God gives you on the planet and there's not a time when you just retire from being faithful anymore so the challenge would be to make this era of your life the supreme spiritual experience of all those years to make sure that you're living on the highest plane right now in the here and now the faithful in Christ Jesus you say I don't know how to do that I mean, I've tried to live the Christian life. I've, heard, I've had people tell me, I just cannot live the Christian life. I can't do it. Hey, it's not faithful in determination or faithful in my own effort or faithful in law-keeping. What is it? The faithful in what? Faithful in Christ Jesus. Where does your faith go? For today's experience of living. It is in Jesus. You began this work, this walk, this pilgrimage. By trusting Jesus as Savior and Lord. It was in faith that your journey was birthed. You were born again by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus. You don't depart from faith in your second step. 
Your next movement is not law-keeping. The next thing you do is not going back to the old covenant and saying, now I just got to be determined to keep all this. No, you walk every day in faith. Paul says we walk by what? Faith, not by sight. Every day is a faith walk. So I'm asking you today to trust Jesus for what he wants to do in you now. To exercise faith for today's living, for the words, the attitudes, and the deeds that will happen to you today. You live in faith. You are faithful in Christ Jesus. He's the one who began the good work in you. And the scripture says that he's going to complete it and perfect it until the day that he comes. So since he's the one who's doing this good work in you, you need to trust him today. It's not always easy to trust him. Particularly when difficulties have come, you feel like you've disappointed the people that love you and maybe you've disappointed yourself. Bad things have happened. Maybe you have fallen down. We all fall down. The Bible does not say that a righteous man never falls down. You know what it says? A righteous man falls seven times and what? Gets up again. That's the proverb. A righteous man falls seven times and gets up again. That's what you do. Say, are you one of God's holy ones? Have you trusted Christ as Savior? Maybe it was years ago. Do you feel like you're backslidden? Like you're not where you ought to be? Not where you used to be? A righteous man falls seven times and he gets up again. Get up again. You have that capacity within you. Why? Because Jesus is in you. Because your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he never leaves you or forsakes you. You've got an opportunity to do something new today. Our eternal position is that we are God's holy people. Our temporal condition is that we are the faithful in Christ Jesus. Faithful to care, faithful to love, faithful to trust him every day. Faithful to confess our sin and receive his faithful forgiveness. We are the faithful in Christ Jesus. Come back to that mode. To walking in faithfulness. Today, come out of the backslidden condition, come out of the things you know don't line up with your eternal position, and come into faithfulness once again. Now, there is a framework that Paul wants these readers to have in their world, and everybody has a spiritual framework. I hope that yours matches up with the one he suggests, okay? Because we go out into the world with this framework, with the way we see the world, our perceptions, our realities, and we frame it with these spiritual conditions inside of our life. So here's the thing that the Apostle Paul wants them to frame their world in. He wants God to give them something, and it is this, grace and peace. Grace and peace to you. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he's just not rattling off something and saying these words. He's selecting them carefully. He wants two things to pertain in their life. He wants them to experience grace and peace from God the Father. When he calls God Father, 
you ought to see right there that God's love for you is overwhelming. He is the premier father. Maybe your father failed you. This father never fails. Maybe you had a great experience with your dad. This father always loves, always protects, always helps us persevere. He is the father. Grace and peace to you from God the Father. In this epistle, in this letter, you are challenged to live in grace, to frame your world with grace so that you know you stand in grace and you walk in grace. Grace is the unearned favor of God. You need grace today because you fell down. And God extends His grace in His faithful forgiveness of you. Restoring you fully, not to second-class citizenship, but fully back into the family of God with all the rights and privileges. You have fallen down. Your restoration is complete. It is full. There are no second-class citizens here. No matter what you've done, whatever your history, God fully restores you. Grace to you. You have yet to understand the depth, the width, the marvelous dimensions of God's grace. And peace to you. You do better in the world when you are at peace in here. If you could frame your world spiritually in peace, I know that you'd do it. There's some of you would say, I want peace more than anything else. I want peace in my heart. We feel frustration because we're not achieving our goals. We feel disappointment because we've not measured up to somebody's standard, maybe our own. And so we surrender peace and end up being frustrated and sometimes bitter. Peace is such a practical gift from the Father unto you. Peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. See, peace is the calming of the storm inside so that you can go to school and not be anxious. And you can show up at work and not be anxious. The anxiety of your life distracts you from the people around you. It keeps you from noticing what they need, from really loving them as you interact with them. Anxiety kind of pulls us into ourselves. And the anxiety and frustrations that we feel make us less able to be the instruments of healing and grace that God wants us to be in the world. You say, how do you get to that peace? Well, it comes from Jesus. It comes from God. And it's the product of every day trusting him, every day walking in faith, every day being faithful. Can you ask God for his peace? Can you frame your day in peace? Can you nestle in the security of being God's holy person, chosen and appointed by him for his eternal purpose in the world? Can you settle into that spot and so frame your world in grace and peace. It's what God wants for you, not just these folks in Ephesus, but for you Christians who live in the stormy seas of New Orleans and anywhere else that you may live, you need this grace and peace that he alone can give. And so, our preferred connection with the Father and with others and the circumstances of life is this, grace and peace. Lord, let me go on Monday to work and walk in grace and peace as a gift from you. 
Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people at Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Bow with me, please. as we just bow our heads before the Lord. I'd like to pray for you if you just feel backslidden, all right? Feel like you're not where you ought to be, not where you used to be. Everybody's just praying right now. Would you slip your hand up and say, include me in this prayer? Yeah, God bless you. I see God sees those hands. Okay. Somebody here needs grace and peace. It's not been the way you've approached life. You've not been able to frame life in grace and peace, but you want to. Would you slip your hand up and say, pray for me. I want this in my life. God bless you, yeah. Heavenly Father, God, I pray for those who have fallen down. Lord, we all fall down. But God, I pray that those who are in Christ Jesus, your holy people, within the sound of my voice, that you would help them get up. God, that you would help them sit up, stand up, and pull themselves to the full stature that they have in you. God, I pray that your grace would abound in their life that your peace would rule over their hearts. And Lord, that we as brothers and sisters might be able to live boldly, lovingly, and with great purpose in our world. God, I pray for those who have fallen down, who need to believe that you can forgive them and cleanse them. God, by your Holy Spirit, that you would communicate your grace to them right now, that mercy would come like a tide into their soul, that they would understand the great love that you have for them. God, I pray for those who feel half restored, that today they might know they are, re are fully restored in the grace that you give and the mercy you extend to them. Oh, God, our Father, we need your grace and peace. And so we ask for it. Believing, trusting, seeking to be faithful and true as you are faithful and true to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.